Just um, thinking about a story I read about a while ago about a particular bishop in a particular area uh, decided to visit one of the churches that uh, he was an overseer of. And he went to the church, he was welcomed by the, the, the vicar, and uh, he was going there to speak, obviously. And um, five minutes before the, the service started, he looked around and there wasn't many people in the congregation. And he said to the uh, vicar of the church, did, did people know that I was coming this morning to, to speak? And the vicar said, uh, no, but it looks like words got around. <laughs> we're, we're a bit fewer than, than normal. I, I, I don't think it's because people knew I was speaking. Uh, I'm going to put it down to the gathering and various things like that. But it's always, it's always a privilege um, to speak, um, to open God's word, and, and to see what God has got to say to us now. Because his word is a living word. It lives. It speaks to us. It's quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And uh, God's word can do us good. It can rebuke us. It can edify us. It can do a whole lot of things. Now, my timekeeper is not here this morning. Usually it's Colin. He's at the gathering, I, I, I take it. Didn't he realize that he should have been here to be my timekeeper? Mike, can you be my timekeeper? If, if from the time I begin to preach, if I go beyond a half an hour, I will allow you to kick me. Even with those legs of yours, you know, I'll, allow you, I'll allow you to do it, all right? Can you turn with me, please, to um, John's epistle? John's epistle. First John chapter 4. If I was to give him a message, a title, I think I would call it very simply, um, what's love got to do with it? We'll come back to that in, in a moment. First John chapter 4, and we'll start to read from verse 7 to the end of the chapter. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love, does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No man or no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And if you get a, a, a chance, maybe later today, read the, read the rest of that um, chapter. It was the year 2000 and Billy Graham, the great American evangelist, he, um, he just passed away, I think, just a couple of years ago. But Billy Graham was asked to come along to a luncheon in his honor in his hometown, which I think is in South Carolina. And they said, uh, just, just say a few words after the, the, the luncheon. And so the luncheon was over, and Billy Graham got up, and he began to tell a story about the physicist Albert Einstein. We've all heard of Einstein, haven't we? Um, great brain box. 
But he told this story about Einstein, and uh, he said, Einstein, Albert Einstein, he went and he purchased a ticket, and on the ticket, it was the price of the ticket and also the destination of where he was going. He got on board this, this train, uh, this is uh, Albert Einstein, and as he was seated there, the conductor came along, and Einstein frantically began to look for his ticket, and the conductor said, it's, it's okay, Mr. Einstein. We, we, we know who you are. It's okay. It's all right. So the conductor went on, and as he looked back, he saw Einstein on, on his knees, frantically looking for his ticket. And the conductor came back and, it's, and said to him again, Mr. Einstein, it's, it's okay. We know who you are. And Einstein looked at the conductor and he said, young man, I also know who I am. My problem is I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> Billy Graham concluded that story by saying, do you see this suit that I'm wearing? I'm going to be buried in it. There'll come a day when you'll hear that Billy Graham is dead. But I want you to remember this. I not only know who I am, but I know where I'm going. <laughs> what about you? What about you? Do you know where you are going? Do you know that you have eternal life? Do you know that Jesus is your Savior? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? Do you know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? Read about it all in the book of Revelation. Friends, do you have that assurance? Well, one of the reasons why John wrote his outstanding epistle was because he wanted the people to whom he was writing, he wanted them to know that they had eternal life. That's why at the end, chapter 5, verse 13, he says, the reason why I've written all these things to you is because I want you to know. I want you to know that you have eternal life. And if you want to know that you have eternal life, according to John in this epistle, there are three tests that you need to pass. The first test concerns the Son of God, Jesus. You have to pass this test. For instance, it says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Whoa, I like that. You believe he came in human flesh? Do you believe that he died the death that you should have died? Do you believe that? Well, then you're in. You're in. You pass the test. But there's another test. Not only a test involving the Son of God, but also a, a test involving the commands of God. Because he says this throughout this epistle. He repeats it frequently, changing it a little bit, but basically saying the same thing. He says, anybody who obeys the commands of God knows God. Is there something within you that just wants to obey God? Is there? Some of you should look at me. They, come on. Is there, is there that within you that just wants to obey God? Then you're in. <laughs> it doesn't mean that you're perfect because in the same book, John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But yet there should be a longing within us. Just wants to obey God. 
It's a good sign. It's a healthy sign. And the last test is this. It's the people of God. Well, the test is this. Do you love them? Oh, I don't know. That's a hard one, John. I mean, the first two were bad enough, but that's really... Did I call myself John there? <laughs> what did I do that for? That's a hard one, Jim. What did I do that for? <laughs> Definitely getting old, aren't I? Definitely getting old. John, John, I don't know who I am, yeah. John in his epistle, he says, if we say we love God, but yet we don't love the family of God, we're liars and the truth is not in us. But if we love, we pass the test. You're in. These things have I written unto you that you might know that you have eternal life. Now, let's come to this last one, the love test. Any Tina Turner fans here this morning? Oh, there is? It's okay. It's not a sin. Don't worry. It's okay. It's, it's all right. I, I, I like that guy who sings, I left my heart in San Francisco, you know. I, I, I always enjoy it. It's, I, I still enjoy listening to some Frank, I must be getting old, Frank Sinatra songs. You know, it's nothing wrong with it. It's not a sin. Well, Tina Turner, she's got this song, What's Love Got to Do With It? <laughs> Come on, all together now. Got to do what? It's a secondhand emotion. Well, what's love got to do with being a Christian? Who said that? Keep yourself. Yeah, everything. You've got to pass that test. Because if you don't love, well, Let's look at this passage of Scripture here in 1 John chapter 4. Probably nowhere more than here does John really hit home the importance of love. Uh, just a few things, a few simple thoughts. First of all, love is who God is. Um, sorry about taking these up and on, but notice what he says here. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, now John said some outstanding things about the character of God. Quoting Jesus from John chapter 4, he said, God is a spirit. And then in this same letter, he says, God is light. But then he makes this outstanding statement, at least two occasions here in 1 John chapter 4, and he says, God is love. Don't you like that? If it was possible to cut God and God bled, it would bleed love. God, some, some Bible scholars believe that this is the, 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 the greatest the, theological statement ever made about the nature of God. That God is, is love. Now, it's not just that God is loving and we know that God loves us. But God in his essential nature, he is love. And we're here this morning because we know that God loves us. We, we are here this morning because we recognize the fact that God loves us. So God is, is, is love. But this is the important thing for us to grasp. We are meant 
to be a people who know this God of love. And he, John says in this epistle, the one who is born of God loves because God is love. When we became Christians, we just didn't turn over a new leaf. We got a new life. And guess what? The life that we got is the very life of God. And if this God of love comes into our nature when we become Christians, then, friends, it stands to reason, what? That we should love. I have a little bit of water here. When this God of love pours into our heart, Somebody should get hit by the splash. Would anybody like to get hit by the splash this morning? No, what about you? You're on the floor. What about you? <laughs> yes, if this God of love is within our hearts, then come on. Somebody should be getting hit by the splash. Because God is love. And we are born of God. And the nature of God is within us. So it should come quite, I tell you, because, because you've got this God of love within you. Can, you can love anybody. You can, you can love people like Mike. Isn't that amazing? You know? and, and you can expand it. You can expand it. You can even love Steve, you know. Because this, because this God of love is within our heart. Last, last weekend, I was up, I was up in Scotland. Uh, I, I left Scotland 16 years ago where I, I pastored a church. It was just fantastic to see how well they're doing. And they've got a building project that's going to cost two and a half, three million pounds, you know. Uh, but it was great. The church has changed so much. They're much more lively in, in, in their worship. But when I was there many years ago, once again, I left 16 years ago. While I was there, there was uh, an American pastor who visited the church, a fellow by the name of Joel Hunter, and he wrote a book, and he, he pastors, I think he's retired now, but he pastored a very large church in, uh, in Florida, and he was a spiritual advisor to Barack Obama. Wow. You know, I just don't have anybody staying in my house, you know, spiritual advisors to presidents, you know. But he gave me this book. He wrote inside it, and I, I read the book, and I always rem remember one particular story. It's about a little girl who was coming back with her mother from church. And, and the little girl said to mommy, Mommy, th the preacher said that God is bigger than us. He says, yes, that's right. God is bigger than us. But he also said that this big God, he lives within us. That's absolutely right. Well, if God is bigger than us, and if God lives within us, then wouldn't he show through <laughs> out, of, out of the voice of a child? Oh, I tell you, my, my grandchildren amaze me sometimes of the things, <laughs> the things that they, 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 they say. I was almost, I'm almost tempted to tell you a story about one of my grandchildren, but I better not. <laughs> but what they say sometimes, incredible. What's love got to do with it? Everything. Why is love so important? Because God is love. Love is who God is. Secondly, 
not only is love who God is, but, but love is why Christ died. Let's really poke my eye out there. If, no, if you've got any love, you would be concerned for me that I'm poking my eye out. <laughs> Notice what it says in verse, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Wow. Powerful stuff, that, isn't it? So we love, not, not just because the nature of God is within us, but we also should love because the, the, the Son of God, he died for us. Now, now why, why did Jesus come into this world 2,000 years ago? He, he came into this world not just, not just to teach us, and, and nobody comes close to being a, a teacher like, like Jesus was, but he didn't just come to, to teach us. He didn't even come just to be a, an example for us. No, the Bible says that, that, that Jesus came into the world uh, to, to die for us. That was his sole purpose. He came and he appeared and he died for us. And friends, when I look at the cross, I, I learn so much theology about the God that I serve. I, when I look at the cross, I, I see the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God? How do we see the wisdom of God in, in the cross? Well, you see, God had a problem, if I can use that expression. can't imagine God having a problem, <laughs> but I'll use it anyways, okay? God had a problem. He wanted to forgive us our sins. He wanted to wipe the slate clean. The problem that God had was, he's a just God. And he has to punish sin. So what was the solution? Jesus took our punishment. Jesus took a punishment that he did not deserve, that I could receive a forgiveness that I didn't. Deserve. Isn't that good news? Well, you can get a little bit excited about that. Wow, I never, never get tired of speaking about the cross of Jesus Christ because in it is displayed the very wisdom of God, the problem, the difficulty that God had. He wants to be merciful, but he has to be just. And not only do we see the wisdom of God, but we see, we also see the holiness of God. If you don't think that our God is holy, go to the cross. And that will demonstrate to you how awesomely, is that right? Awesomely holy God is. He was so holy, he had to turn his back upon his son. When his son carried the sins of the world. The wisdom of God, the holiness of God. But friends, supremely, the love of God. The love of God. What does John say here? It says here that Jesus, or that God, God sent his pre-existing son into the world. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see... Men spend, send spaceships on, on, on missions to the moon and to beyond, <laughs> to infinity and beyond. 
Buzz Lightyear. My grandson Isaac loves that guy. Like. God sent his son on a mission. It was, it was a rescue mission. And why did he do it? He did it because he loved us. And when I stand at the foot of the cross, I see love. And I say, and John says, if this is how God loved you, well, does anything, does any more have to be said? I really am, um, I am re really a, a sucker for the old musicals, you know. Has anybody ever seen La La Land? Is it any good? No, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the reaction I get as well, like, la, 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 no, no, no. Uh, but, but I'm going to mention a few musicals, and you're just going to, uh, Fiddler on a Roof? Oh, yeah, Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, West Side Story? Yeah, great, great musicals. Uh, the Sound of Music? <laughs> the Hills Are Alive? <laughs> they are, they're all great, but you know, I, if, if, if Fiddler on the Roof was on the television and it coincided with La La Land being on the television, I know what I would be watching. I would be watching Fiddler on the Roof. And there's one scene in Fiddler on the Roof where um, Teve, that was his name, he was a man bound by tradition. I know some churches like that. <laughs> tradition. <laughs> bound by tradition. And he wanted to arrange his daughter's marriages. He, he was from um, uh, Ukraine at, at the time of the Russian Revolution. <laughs> I, I still remember some of the things. There was one particular socialite Trotskyite guy who said to Teve, he says, money is a curse. And he lifted his head, oh God, curse me then, curse me if money is a curse. But I'm, I'm, I'm digressing a little bit, all right? But one day his daughter said, but daddy, I want to marry this man because I love him. What? Me and your mother's marriage was arranged? Before that, our parents, their marriage was... Uh, no, father. And he was challenged. And so one night, he says to his wife, he says, and he's talking about his daughter. And he says to his wife, do you love me? And she looks at him and she says, What are you talking about, you old fool? Yes, I know I am an old fool, but, but do you love me? And then she said, For 25 years, I, I eat with him, I sleep with him, I, I, I starve. 25 years, I, I bring up his children. For 25 years, my bed is his bed. If that is not love, then what is? And I ask you this morning, I challenge you this morning, if the cross of Christ is not love, then what is? Because the cross of Christ demonstrates supremely the God of love. And it becomes our model. John says, if this is how God loved us, we should love one another. You cannot, you cannot go to the cross 
stand at the foot of the cross and go away and live a selfish life. Because when you realize that Jesus died for you, uh, he died and he appeared to take away your sins, then your, your attitude towards sin changes because you realize that Jesus died to save you from your sins, so you just cannot carry on living a life of sin. And also, when you realize that, that Jesus loves you so much, and the cross is a demonstration of that love, uh, then you cannot carry on living a selfish love. You must love people as he has loved you. So, Are people getting splashed with, I'm going to throw this. I really am. <laughs> what about you, Chris? Are you up for getting drenched this morning? Are you? <laughs> yeah, he's one of these Anglican guys that I was talking about, you know. Yeah. Um, let me just take a little sip here, all right? Reminds me of the, the vicar who, who was doing a, an epilogue at the end of the night. On, on television, you don't see it now. Somebody slips some gin into his water. <laughs> and by the time he finishes, he's slurring. And <laughs> very, very funny. I thought it was funny anyway. Probably wouldn't be politically correct to put that on television now, would it, really? But it was, I thought it was very amusing. Look, what, what's love got to do with it? Love is who God is. Secondly, Love is why Christ died. And, and thirdly, and I, I really want you to take this point away with you today, love is when people see. Notice what he says here. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. I, I don't think, I don't think I'm, I'm exaggerating when, when I say that most people want to love and they also want to be loved. Am I wrong in saying that? I think that's innate within our, within our nature. We, we want to love but we, but we want to be loved. I, I used to think that maybe everybody liked me, but I, I don't believe that anymore. I think it's naive to think like that, really. But oh, I, I do trust, I trust there's one or two people out there that love me. I think, I think my children do. I think they do. I think my grandchildren do. They think I'm silly, you see. That's why they love me, you see. But I think there's a human craving. And people are looking around and, and they're saying, well, where is it? I feel a song coming on. <laughs> it's from Oliver. You know Oliver Twist? I've got the book there. I intend to read it someday, Oliver Twist. But once again, another great musical, Oliver. And little, little Oliver, he's, he's searching and he says, Where is love? <laughs> Who said that? Who said that? Who? Yeah. Does it fall from skies above? Is it underneath the willow tree that I've been? Poor little Oliver. Poor, poor, <laughs> poor, 
Yeah, you, you watch the movie, you read the book. Poor little guy had a hard time. And in his desperation, Mark Lester, I think, played the part. He says, where is love? I, I, I really think, friends, there's people in Chesterfield that are just crying out and they're just saying, where is love? Where is it? Now, notice what he says here. He says this. No one has ever seen God. Now, have you ever noticed that expression before in the Bible, no one has ever seen God? It's found in, in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 18, in the prologue of John's Gospel. It's the exact same expression, no one has ever seen God. And I'm, rather than turning to it, I'm, I'm going to try to paraphrase what it says in John 1.18. John says, no one has ever seen God except the one who is beside God, referring to Jesus. He has made him known. So when Jesus walked this scene of time, he could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He, he manifested, he revealed the Father, I, J. John, J. John, the um, I think he's an Anglican evangelist, great, very funny, very funny man, like. But he he said on one occasion he was taking a very hostile school assembly, and uh, in this school assembly, uh, it was getting a bit out of hand, and one hand went up, and this young lad said, "Have you ever seen God?" And J. John said, "Well." If I had lived 100 years ago, I would have seen Queen Victoria. If I had, if I had lived 400 years ago, I, I would have seen Henry VIII. And if I had lived 2,000 years ago in Palestine, I would have seen Jesus. And so I could have said, I have seen God. But Jesus is back in heaven now. Incidentally, I believe that we see God in creation. I took a walk around Stubbing Court. I'd like to clear my head before I come into the lion's den preaching, you know. And, and I look around and I see God. I see God in creation. I see God. But you know what? I, I, I want to see, see God in people. Now, sorry, I'm digressing, but John uses this exact same expression. The invisible God made himself visible when Jesus came and dwelt and lived amongst us. And now what John is saying is, is that when we love, the invisible God once again reveals himself in us. Don't you find that staggering? When we love. The invisible God reveals himself afresh in our lives. No one has ever seen God. But yet when we love, when we especially love, people will see God. Maybe this is what Jesus meant when he said, by, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. If you've got love for one another, not, not if you hold big meetings here and get top-notch evangelists. And I believe in evangelists. 
to gather, and I believe in shepherds to guard. I, I, I believe that, friends. But Jesus said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. And the Bible also says it's got to be real, and it's got to be genuine, heartfelt love. So back, back to the Tina Turner song. Probably what you'll remember this morning is Tina Turner, won't you? You'll be going back to the house, what's love got to do with it, won't you? <laughs> no. Come on. What's, what's love got to do with being a Christian? Everything, friends. Everything. Because it shows whether or not we really are Christians. Why? Why should we love? We love because love is who God is and he lives and resides within us, and so somebody should be getting hit with a splash. Why should we love? We love because love is why Christ died. It becomes the model for our love for one another. If this is how he loved us, how should we not love one another? And, and love, friends, this is staggering. I, I, I can't read that passage of Scripture without being staggered by it. And the New Testament writers were amazed with the fact that Jesus came into the world. But I'm amazed by the fact that when we do have loving relationships, people see. People see. And they take note. What's love got to do with it? Everything. Lord bless you.